this morning's passage is Hannah's prayer to God after receiving a long-expected child. Now, those that have heard me preach in the last few times, I've discovered I like to tell stories before I get into the message. So this morning's story is actually Samuel chapter 1, in my own words. So listen to what chapter 1 of 1 Samuel has to say. It was a time before the temple was a building in Jerusalem. It was still in its traveling form that God had told Moses to build. It was located in a place called Shiloh, and the high priest there's name was Eli. There was a man named Elkanah, and he had two wives, one named Hannah, and one, the other's name was Peninnah. Every year, Elkanah would take his family, and they would go to Shiloh to worship the Lord. His wife, Peninnah, had sons and daughters, but Hannah couldn't have children because the Lord had closed her womb. Peninnah would provoke Hannah and irritate her all the time because she couldn't have children. Those of you that don't really know about this time, when a woman couldn't have children, people thought she was cursed by God. So you see, they also knew that a woman that was cursed by God wasn't going to give birth to the Messiah. As Elkanah and his family were in the temple making their sacrifices and eating, Peninnah started in on Hannah again. She was provoking her, irritating, aggravating her, and she may have said something like this. The Lord's given me children, but he hasn't given you one. We know you're not going to be the one to give the birth to the Messiah. Well, Hannah had just had enough. She got upset and she left and went outside. Now the priest Eli was sitting by the door and he was watching Hannah. She was just so upset she was crying and praying to the Lord. And she was asking the Lord, God, please forgive me for whatever it was I've done. And allow me to have a son. If you give me the son, I vow to give him to you for all the days of your life, of his life. Now, Eli's sitting at the door and he's watching her, and she's her mouth's moving. But no words are coming out. Have you ever been in distress like that and praying to God or talking? And you know your lips are moving, but there's no sound coming out. Well, that's kind of what Hannah was doing. Well, the priest is looking at her and he says, Woman, stop being drunk and drinking wine. He thought she was drunk. She says, No, sir, please don't consider me a worthless woman. I am not drunk. I'm crying out my heart to the Lord. Eli the priest realized what she had been doing in her sorrow 
And he said to her, go in peace and may the God of Israel grant your petition that you have asked of him. Now, for a high priest to speak to a woman in those days must have really lifted her spirits because men just didn't talk to women, especially priests to a woman. So Elkanah, the next day, took his family, and they went back home. Well, back home, the Lord remembered Hannah, and she became pregnant. And she gave birth to a son, and she called his name Samuel. When it came time for Elkanah to take his family back to the temple for sacrifices and priests, Hannah asked him, please let me stay until the boy is weaned, and then I'll take him to the temple. Elkanah said, that's fine. Do as you see what's pleasant to you. In those days, a woman usually weaned their children at three years old. So when Samuel was three, Hannah took uh, Samuel, and they went to the temple, and she made her sacrifices and told Elkanah, I mean, told Eli, the priest, this. When you thought I was drunk and you saw me crying to the Lord, this is what I was praying for, a son. And then she did something that's really hard to understand. She left him there with the priest to be raised for the Lord. At this point, I was reading this and I thought, oh man, can you imagine a woman in this church having a baby and bringing him to Joe and say, now raise him for the Lord? I think him and Tisa say, yeah, grab him and go right on. But that's kind of what happened. She just left her son at the temple for Eli to raise. After making her sacrifices and leaving the baby Samuel there, or the three-year-old Samuel there, she left and went back home. The Lord remembered Hannah, and she became pregnant. After leaving him there, she went back home. She had been being provoked and irritated by her sister Panina, and God granted her prayers. She didn't lash out at Panina for aggravating and irritating her. She didn't do some ungodly thing. What she did was wait on the Lord because she knew that he would answer. I'm going to ask you this morning, what do you do when you've been provoked and irritated? Say somebody says something to you that makes you mad. Do you lash back out at them with some uh, improper speech or words that you can't put back in your mouth after they come out? How about this one? All of us have done it. We're driving down the road, and somebody pulls out in front of you. And they go slow. Do you run up on them, get right up behind them and push them? You flash your lights at them, honk your horn, Maybe you gesture to them that they're number one. <laughs> you do, right? I'm, don't lie, you do. It happens. Well, what you should do 
when you're being provoked and aggravated and irritated and upset is the same thing Hannah did. You need to run to your Savior and pray and wait. He already knows what you're going through. He's just waiting for you to come to him and then he'll answer your prayers. That brings us to our proposition for today. Our proposition is run to God with your sorrows and needs in prayer expecting him to answer. God knows your sorrows and everything you're going through. He knows your needs before you even have them. He wants you to acknowledge, God wants you to acknowledge the expected one, spend time with him, and get to know him. Those who don't will one day hear those unforgettable words of Jesus. I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. That brings us to our passage for today. Hannah's prayer. You ready to get started? Don't say uh-huh so quick like I'm going so slow. <laughs> Point one. Exalt the Lord with for what he is doing and has done in your life. At church, sometimes when we read scriptures, we just go right off a word like we kind of know what it means, but we really don't. We've got one of those words here in our first verse, and sometimes people are like me. I, you may not really know what that word means. And there's two words here that are so close to each other, you just zip right by them. The word I want you to look at is exalt. The word exalt basically means to become jubilant or to rejoice in something. And that's what we're going to look at it today. The next word is exalt, which just means to rise up, raise up. So what we want to look at is exalt. Rejoice in. Verses 1 and 2. Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn, or my strength, is exalted, raised up in the Lord. My mouth speaks boldly against my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. So as we look back at that first verse there, we're going to say, Hannah said, my heart rejoices in the Lord. She has just been given a son and is praying to the Lord and her heart is raised up. When God answered Hannah's prayer, she sang out in great gladness or jubilant toward the Lord. She acknowledged that his, her strength came from him and she spoke boldly against her enemies. <laughs> Probably Penina for aggravating her and irritating her. 
But Panina was not just her, her enemy. Her closed womb was one of her enemies. When God answers your prayers, do you exalt in the Lord? Do you rejoice in Him? Or do you just say, thank you, Lord, and really, with really no respect or honor and move on with life? You, you guys know what I'm saying. The Lord just answered your prayer, and you go, whoo, man, I'm glad that's over. Thank you, God, and you just move on. Exalt in the Lord were answered prayers. When he answers your prayers, raise your voice toward him. He is the God that answers prayers. He is your God and Lord and Savior. You need to give him the honor and praise and glory that belongs to him. Sing out when you pray. Your heartfelt prayers should rejoice in the expectation of what the Lord is doing in your life and has already done. Speak boldly against your enemies. And they're not just money problems. Your enemies are not just relationship problems. They're not other people. They're also... Addiction to alcohol, drugs, smoking, pornography, health problems, cancers. We have all kinds of enemies rampant through our church right now. Speak out boldly against them. You're in the Lord. Exalt in him. He will answer your prayers. The, there's no one holy like our Lord. There is no one beside him, nor is there any rock like our God. Amen? Amen. Praise the Lord. Point two. Don't let pride destroy your ability to rejoice in the Lord. Exalt in the Lord. When pride gets in your way, the Lord is going to humble you. Verse 3. Boast no more so very proud. Do not let arrogance come out of your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge and with him actions are weighed. God will humble those that brag and boast and talk about their own abilities to accomplish something without giving him the glory for it. You've heard people do it. You may even do it yourself. I can do this. Or I can do that. I did this. I, I, I. Or me, me, me. We do it, people do it all the time and brag about what they can and can't do. God's going to humble those that are like that. Have you ever been humbled before? I'm going to give you a couple examples in scriptures about being humbled. Remember my story about Peninnah and Hannah? Peninnah aggravating and irritating Hannah because she couldn't have children? Well, Hannah had 
a barren woman, Hannah, had a son named Samuel. Three other sons and two more daughters. Peninnah didn't have any more children. How long it takes to have six children? Peninnah already had six children and couldn't have any more. I think that's a little bit of humbling right there. How about Goliath? Do you remember Goliath? He's standing out on the battlefield. I'm the biggest and the baddest man there is. Come on, try to take me. And then this little shepherd boy, David. He comes out with a little old slingshot and a rock and hit that man in the forehead and killed him dead. And then used his sword to cut his head off. That's some harsh humbling right there, don't you think? One more. King David, he looked on the roof of his next door neighbors and he said, Woohoo! I want that woman as my wife. I can have her husband killed and she'll be my wife and nobody will be the wiser. But after he had that man killed and he took that woman as his wife, God sent a man named Nathan to him and told him the story about what had happened to a man and David was outraged and said that man needed to be killed and Nathan said that man is you <laughs> it humbled David David fell to his knees and pleaded with God I have sinned against God I've not just sinned against this woman and her husband I've sinned against my God God's going to humble you. In verses 4 through 8, we're here, Hannah, point out seven contrasts and the Lord's response. Here in Hannah's prayer, she says in verse 4, a contrast between the mighty and the weak. She says, the bow of the mighty are shattered, but the feeble gird on strength. The Lord brings down those who are mighty without giving him the honor for their might. And those who are weak and turn to him, he gives them the strength to carry on. Contrast 2 and 3 is verse 5. The full and the hungry, the barren and the fertile. Those who are full hire themselves out for bread, but those who were hungry cease to hunger. You see, people who have a lot of food, probably by unrightly gain, dishonoring God, God is going to bring them down and they're going to have to work for food. Those who are hungry... Because they don't have enough food, acknowledge the accepted one, and he gives them enough food. She's praying and says that even the barren give birth to seven, but she who has many children languish. Now here, the phrase gives birth to seven 
is not a personal testimony of Hannah since she only had six children and Peninnah only had six children. This is just a general reference to women whom cannot have children will be able to give birth now to children by acknowledging who God is. And those women who have many children without giving God the honor of giving them those children are going to be left alone. Not going to have any more children. Contrast six, and I mean four and five is verse six. The dead and the alive, the sick and the well. The Lord kills and makes alive. He brings low to Sheol and he raises up. The Lord will send some people to eternal death. He is also going to raise up people, the alive. In Deuteronomy 32, 39, the Lord says, See now that I, I am he. There is no other God beside me. It is I who put to death and give birth. I have wounded and it is I who heal. And there is no one who can deliver from my hand. God does it. Not us. Kills and makes alive is also a reference to the sick. Those who will spend eternity in the lake of fire. The well are those who will have eternal life. Now contrast 6 and 7 is going to be in our application. So I want to just move on past that verse and go to verse 9. In verse 9, Hannah acknowledges that it is the Lord who protects his holy ones and that he, that wicked people will be silenced in darkness where they can do nothing. For not by might shall a man prevail. It's not a person's own strength that makes him great. That's given by the Lord. Isaiah 58, 11 says, and the Lord will continue to guide you, Christians, his people. He will satisfy your desires in scorched places. He will give strength to your bones. And he will, and you will be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. God takes care of his people and punishes those who do not give him the glory. There's nothing that anyone does that causes them to succeed. It's the Lord's doings. And for God's people, the Lord is going to continue to guide you, satisfy your desires, and give you strength, and you're going to be like a water that waters do not dry up. Point three. Know that God will judge the world and exult in his anointed king. <laughs> Church, this verse is probably the best verse in this prayer. You're going to see here in just one minute why I think it is. We don't know the exact date of when 1 Samuel was written. 
But we do know that it was written sometime between the, after the divisions of the kingdom of Israel and Judah in 931 B.C. So check out what Hannah knows 900 years before Revelation is written. This is the great, this is great, church. You guys got to understand. This is eschatology. You know me. It's got to be the greatest part to me. Verse 10. Those who contend with the Lord will be shattered. Against them he will thunder in the heavens, and the Lord will judge the ends of the earth. Church, you know this. You've heard me talk about it all the time. Acknowledge it. In your prayers, acknowledge who God is. He's come once and he's going to come again. Those that contend with the Lord are going to be shattered. And against them, he's going to thunder from the heavens. He's going to judge the ends of the earth. Hannah was so ecstatic in her prayers after God gave her a son she acknowledged who God was and what he was going to do. Does he answer your prayers? Pray these things in your prayers. You know them. Let's look at the last line of this verse. Here's the greatest part, the greatest part of this prayer. God will give strength to his king and he will exalt the strength of his anointed. All the way back from the beginning of time through Hannah's life, there had never been a king over Israel's people, over God's people. But Moses had predicted the coming of this king and who God... Uh, that God was going to send and he's going to rule over the nations of the earth. Not just Israel, all nations, all ethnicities, every person alive. He's going to send someone to be a king over them. It is a future victorious king that Hannah is praying about. It is he whose birthday we're going to be celebrating in a couple of weeks. Hannah had been given a son, Samuel, who had part in the first king and the second king of God's people, Saul and David. But it's here she's praying about the Lord Jesus Christ. Future. 900 years before she's praying about this expected one hallelujah church here's our application for today spend time exalting in the Lord knowing that he has given self given you salvation and will answer your prayers as Hannah was suffering in her sorrows and being aggravated by her sister, she went to the Lord severely oppressed in spirit. But she knew praying to God 
that God would answer in his timing. God doesn't answer our prayers in our timing. It, it may take the next day, the next month, the next year, but if you pray to God, he will answer your prayers. Our suffering sometimes in our lives brings us to severe oppressed spirits. When you're down and you're at your lowest, follow Hannah's example. Take it to the Lord in prayer. If you're a Christian here this morning, you know that the Lord Jesus has already come once answering your greatest need, your salvation. If that king, our Lord Jesus, would come down from heaven and, have, and bear the shame and the pain and the sorrow that he did to save you, Surely, he'll answer your prayers of pain, shame, and sorrow. Go to him in prayer. And go to him after answered prayers in gratification and acknowledging that it was him who answered your prayers. Don't just dismiss it casually. Now I'm going to look back to contrast 6 and 7. It's verse 7. The poor and the rich, the humble and the exalted. The Lord makes poor and rich. He brings low. He also exalts. Now I have to share something that God showed me this morning when I was in, doing my devotional in Proverbs 22.2. It's not going to be up there, so just remember. The Lord makes poor and rich and brings low and exalt. Proverbs 22.2 says, The rich and the poor have a common bond. The Lord is the maker of them all. The Lord makes rich and poor. He brings low and he exalts. Do you guys remember the story of Job? Most people have heard that story. Job was the richest man that there was. And he became the poorest man of them all. Even had sores all over his body and scales and just scratching and digging at himself. <laughs> and right now you're probably thinking, I remember that story. It was Satan that did all those things to him, right? Okay. You say, right? Satan did it, right? Who's in charge of Satan? <laughs> Satan can't do anything unless the Lord lets him. The Lord makes poor and rich. You see, after all of this, you remember what happened to Job? He was restored to have more than before. In the story of the rich man and the uh, talking to Jesus, he asked Jesus, "How do I inter how do I inherit eternal life?" Jesus said to him, "You know the commandments: do not commit adultery, 
Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your mother and your father. The rich man in his arrogance, I do all these things. <laughs> okay. Jesus says, okay, one thing you lack. Go sell everything that you own, all of your possessions, and give it to the poor and come follow me. You'll have treasures in heaven and come follow me. That's what the expected one is saying to you today. You must become poor to become rich. He brings low, and then he exalts you. Now, church, Jesus isn't setting forth terms for salvation here. He's just exposing your heart, your true heart. He's not saying you can't be rich from a human standpoint. He's not saying that you have to be poor. What Jesus is saying is that nothing can come before him. Not your possessions, not your husband or wife, not your children, not your grandchildren. Nothing can come before him. You have to consider all of those things as dust next to him. All right, I'm going to try to wrap things up a little bit here, a little, little, bit, little bit longer. The part of Hannah's prayer we haven't looked at yet is, verses, is verse 8, A to C. It says, he raises the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy out of the ash heap and make them sit with nobles and inherit a seat of honor. Now, if you can remember from last week, we looked at Psalm 113. Now, keep verse 8, 1 through C, uh, A through C in your mind. He raises the poor from the dead. He lifts the dust from the ash heap and makes him sit with nobles and inherit a seat of honor in your mind while I read Psalm 113, verse 1, 7, and 8. The psalmist says, Praise the Lord. Praise the, O, ser o servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes, with princes of his people. You see, the writer of Psalms must have been remembering what Hannah had written in her prayer when he wrote this. The servants of the Lord, praising and rejoicing in the Lord, a woman that had never given birth to a child gave birth to Samuel. We've got a couple other women in scriptures that do the same thing, but there's one that never had children. And he gave, she gave birth to the expected one, our king, our savior. When 
The Lord says he raises the dead from the, I mean, the uh, poor from the dust. He's talking about those who consider everything they have as dust next to him. When it says he's going to pull the needy out of the ash heaps, he's talking about those who need him. He's going to make his people sit with nobles, princes, and inherit a seat of honor. Amen.